Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to another episode of Talk Water. It's been a busy month, certainly the summer buzz has died down and things have picked up again. The Water Environment Federation's 92nd Annual Technical Conference, aka WEFTEC, took place the last week of September. And the theme this year was Regeneration Workforce, with the goal to work together to regenerate the water workforce. The event opened in Chicago on September the 23rd with strong messages on adopting a regeneration mindset and embracing diversity as a key to developing and sustaining quality water industry workforce. We heard empowering messages from WEF President Tom Kunetz about leadership through vision, as well as passionate words from retiring WEF Executive Director Eileen O'Neill. And building on the 2019 conference theme, the program set tone for attendees with a keynote presentation from Dr. Lyra Borowski, an Associate Professor of Cognitive Science from the University of California. Now she shared her unique perspective on how differences in language can shape the way we think, perceive and respond to each other. And for those who have been following Blue Tech on social media, you would have seen our activities at WEF Tech. And in case you didn't, no worries, you can play back and relive all our moments at WEFTEC by clicking on the link included in this description box under this episode. And you know, WEFTEC is a great opportunity for us to catch up with our clients. For everyone who joined us for our breakfast briefing, we hope you found it insightful and that it left you thinking about new ideas and concepts. We presented a selection of top papers from WEFTEC that we believed to be the most impactful and interesting and those that map to the key technology themes we track on behalf of our clients. We presented a selection of top papers, classifying them into four verticals, academics, technology suppliers, consulting engineers, and utilities. And you know, innovation is not limited to one vertical. Some of today's most successful water technologies originated in research institutes, with concepts brought to market and validated by suppliers, through the support of consulting engineers, who act as industry influencers, and ultimately, adopted by end users such as utilities. So be sure to check that out. A key feature of the briefing was also our focus on the theory of disruptive innovation. For those who have been following our work, you'll know that we've classified innovation into four categories. Discontinuous, radical functionality, sustaining innovation and disruptive innovation. This year, we've built on this theory defining innovation as falling into a market creating or a market taking category. And I speak to our CEO, Paula Callahan, more about this. I'm joined today by our CEO, Paula Callahan, who will take us through our journey of defining disruptive innovation. For those who have been tracking Bluetech's work in this area, this all started about two or three years ago when we started looking at innovation and we looked at how long it took for technologies to make an impact in the market. Then last year, we looked at the two main drivers. Technologies were driven either by a crisis or were adding value to the market. And now this year, we're looking at how we can measure disruptive innovation. And I think, Paul, you did a fantastic job with the WEFTEC breakfast briefing to define that and to provide a bit more context. So would you like to maybe share a few words with us today on this new layer that we're adding to the model as we, as we continue our research? Yeah, the, uh, the ongoing journey of yeah. investigation and discovery here into what makes water tech tick. Um, it began with all of the data that we sit on at Bluetech that we've access to. And now, looking back over a seven, eight, nine year horizon, we can go back and look over and mine that information. And even look further back if you look at case studies, 
So the first thing we published was how long it took, and the response to that was incredible. People said, finally, you know, we knew it took a long time, but you've shown with these case studies, it could take 12 to 16 years to get from your first plants through to early majority section of the market. And that's become now kind of a recognized benchmark of how long it should take or it can take. Yeah. Then we said, okay, what well, can fast track it? So we looked at a crisis or a need in the market, and absolutely we found it could have the time. You can do it in 50% of that time if you have something like a very strong, legislative or regulatory driver behind you. Mm -hmm. Then we started to turn our attention to how do you measure disruption? Because the term is overused really, but we said, well, maybe it's, you can measure based on how many countries the technology is used in. Maybe it's more than 50 countries, or there's more than a thousand plants, or the market's worth more than a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And these are all metrics we've been experimenting with to measure and quantify disruption. And then we said, okay, of the things that did that disruption, what type of innovation were they? So um, how can we you know, use what we've gathered in terms of our understanding of what's disruptive and are there any case studies that you can share with us on technologies that, we would, have, that would have made the billion dollar market, for example? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're calling that category unicorns, which mm -hmm. is you know, venture capital parlance for a home run. And if we look at the things that became a billion dollar market or had more than a thousand plants, are used in more than 50 countries, and led to the creation of new companies. Ultrafiltration membranes, the use of those in drinking water treatment is one, pure example. Ultraviolet disinfection, again for the drinking water or wastewater, a unicorn. And membrane bioreactors, the same, all three of those. And you know, what do they have in common? Well, they were all market creating or market taking. That's an important distinction that we're now making. Are you creating a new market or are you trying to take from somebody else's existing market? In all those cases, they had a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. At the very start, they could create something new and then later on, they went and they replaced something else. Yeah. They also had some other commonalities. They were discontinuous and that it was a new way of doing this. The value chain was changed. It was polymeric membranes instead of sand. It was ultraviolet instead of chlorine. It was UF membranes instead of a clarifier. So that was a discontinuous break in the value chain piece to it. And they also had some radical functionality. They did something that the others didn't do. They dealt with cryptosporidium. They guaranteed a particular filtration size. And importantly, in two of those cases, they had a crisis driving them, cryptosporidium, wastewater regulations, disinfection byproducts. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is if you want to hit a market over 1 billion, you need to have a mix of everything. You need to be market creating, market taking, you need to be doing something new, radical functionalities, offer something that, that, hasn't, that isn't being done currently. And of course, regulations need to be on your side. What about sustaining innovation? Those guys who aren't offering something new, but are offering a step or an incremental improvement in the existing current ways of doing things. How would we classify them? So they don't generally become these unicorns. Mm -hmm. Unicorns, by definition, are rare. Yeah. Um, but they become successful large markets of over $100 million, mm -hmm. under a billion, generally speaking, can be widely adopted. And we took two examples. There was membrane biofilm bioreactors, MBBR, yeah. and SBR, sequencing bioreactor. Both of those would have you know, hundreds, really thousands, north, north of a thousand plants. The markets are between 100 and 500 million for both those markets. They were not market creating, they were market taking. 
They didn't break in the value chain, they weren't really discontinuous, they didn't offer radical functionality, they had certain advantages, would, would put them into the bracket of they were sustaining innovation. Mm -hmm. And there was no crisis that drove these technologies, they were adding value. Exactly. Yeah. They could do it in a smaller footprint, maybe eliminate the need for a clarifier, mm -hmm. shorten retention times. They offered some benefit above and beyond an activated sludge treatment plant. Mm -hmm. And finally, we're obviously tracking new emerging technologies in the water sector and technologies like Struvat recovery, thermal hydrolysis. How would you classify these? So they're really interesting. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, one might look upon them as being the next unicorns because they are they have some radical functionality. Struvite yeah. allows you to recover phosphorus in a new way that could never be done before. Thermal hydrolysis, it breaks open the cell wall. Nobody was doing this before. Looking at those, what surprised us in terms of the data was the number of plants is still very small. Like Struvite, about 60 plants all the time. Thermal hydrolysis, 55. In the greater scheme of things, these are very small numbers. And the markets are less than 100 million a year for those two. And they've been around, you know, Struvite has been used for 14 years in the marketplace. Thermal hydrolysis is 23. So, you know, 23 certain you'd expect to see a little bit more at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And why are they not breaking through? Our current thinking, our hypothesis here is that it's really hard to create a new market unless there's a regulatory driver for it. Like you can't persuade someone yeah. if they don't have to do it. It's hard to get the entire market to do it. To do it, yeah. Yeah, three very distinct but very interesting ways of viewing the water sector. And I think, what does this mean? I mean what can we take away from all of this? We're, we're working with so many different stakeholders in the water space, from water investors to technology vendors to academics. If somebody was to use our analysis and framework, what would be some of the insights that they could take away? What well, I think if you could look at your technology at the outset, a technology area, and say, okay, how do I fit into this matrix? Am I market creating or am I market taking? Am I crisis driven or value driven? Am I discontinuous, sustaining or radical functionality? That would be an important way to kind of self-identify it. Imagine like a Myers-Briggs MBTI indicator, <laughs> I guess, for, for water tech and see what your personality profile is and then compare yourself to other known personality profiles here. I think depending on your perspective, if you're involved mm -hmm. in research and development, if you're an innovator or an entrepreneur or an end user, being able to look at this, when we've got it published, obviously this won't be published until a little bit later this year, yeah. but once it is, we hope it'll be a useful framework that both we at Bluetech can draw upon, but also you know, the broader community. So if you're an end user, you might be quite pleased with sustaining innovation and, and not really interested in creating unicorns. You want something that's relatively low cost, simple, doesn't require fundamental changes to the plant or the system. But if you are a venture capitalist investor and looking for the next breakthrough innovation in water, you probably are interested in unicorns and need a lot of things to run in your favour. So no matter what role you play, depending on your perspective, this is a useful framework to use and we have case studies as well as data that we can share with our clients on examples that we've mentioned on this podcast. So we look forward to the white paper and we'll continue to use this framework ourselves when assessing and scanning for new technologies both now and in the future. And we welcome the feedback from everybody listening. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much for your time, Paul. Thanks, Divya. Moving on to our next piece with editor Rhys Owen on updates from Bluetech Research.
we have online with us uh, Reese Owen, our editor in chief. Reese, take us through some of the items Blue Tick have been looking at over the past month. Hi, Divya. This month we are publishing a horizon scan on atmospheric water capture, or AWC. And this is a very old technology, obviously, condensing water out of air. Um, and it's traditionally been of niche interest because of the fact that uh, it consumes power at a higher rate per litre produced than almost anything else, including desalination. However, it's attracted much more interest lately uh, through innovations such as using desiccant materials to capture the moisture, uh, meaning that you can do it in uh, less humid climates. And several quite innovative companies have launched in the last five years that are aiming to exploit opportunities where there is absolute water scarcity. Yes, and one company called Zero Mass Water raised $21 million of venture funding from Breakthrough Energy Ventures. So clearly there is interest from industry in this area. Uh, meanwhile, tag expert Karina Carpentier takes a deep dive into the search for uh, an online method of measuring total organic carbon. Of course, TOC monitoring is what is a well-established technology with lots and lots of companies offering analyzers and sensors. So what is the unmet market need here? What is an unmet need at the moment is the ability to differentiate between the different constituents within TOC. Uh, and that could benefit all sorts of water processes. Uh, for example, if you could know the content of humic acid in water distribution networks, and that will give you an early warning that uh, carbon filters might be clogged. Now, on another basis, uh, in seawater desalination, uh, humic acids aren't a problem, but transparent exopolymer particles, or TEP, uh, can cause fouling to build up on membranes. So it would be useful to isolate that fraction of TOC. So we have an article on the intelligence platform which digs into uh, various technologies and methods which could be developed uh, in this area. Mm -hmm. And we also have a conference briefing uh, by tag expert Wade Miller. Uh, he went to the 34th annual Water Reuse Symposium, which was held in San Diego uh, back at the beginning of September. And uh, that was notable for the EPA launching its National Water Reuse Action Plan. Now, uh, this is slightly different to previous government initiatives. It was supported in person by senior government officials from six different agencies. So it has some quite heavy, almost unprecedented uh, official backing. And we see this as potentially driving reuse projects and encouraging their adoption beyond the, the big four states where 90% of reuse projects have happened already. That's Texas, Florida, California, and Arizona. And then finally, in our Lighthouse project tracker this month, we feature the largest nutrient recovery facility in the world at Stickney in Chicago, and look at Aqualia's all-gas project, which uh, creates a vehicle fuel from wastewater using algae. So uh, lots of variety this month. Uh, do check it out. Excellent. Thanks very much, Reese. And indeed, lots of variety. You mentioned atmospheric water capture. We had water harvesting at Weftec with us. Um, and as you say, certainly, yeah, with the, in terms of energy, it is um, much higher than seawater desalination. I suppose the only thing you can compare it with really is bottled water, um, particularly in areas where, you know, for disaster relief and military type applications. Um, we do have a webinar and a full report on atmospheric water capture. So do check that out on our platform. Uh, water reuse, this is quite a theme at WEFTEC again this year. Um, 
we maintain an interactive Bastio map on our platform that shows the different sites across the world that practice both DPR and IPR. So hopefully with the new EPA legislation um, or EPA action, this, this is going to move direct potable water reuse uh, further along, um, certainly past the four states anyway. Um, do keep us posted on the end of your webinar as well. I believe the date for that is 5th December. Um, it's our water almanac. We're going to be doing a lot of crystal gazing into 2020, um, looking at some of the key trends that will um, arise next year, but also looking at what's happened this year in 2019, uh, who succeeded and uh, who exited the market. So um, keep an eye out for that also. Great. Thanks very much, Reese. Look forward to this in monthly intelligence briefing and also the coming editions. Great. Thanks, David. Thanks, Reese. And with that, I'd like to draw our September episode out to a close. I hope you enjoyed listening to our analysis on market creating versus market taking. Some big lessons to be drawn from past case studies, as I'm sure you'd agree. Remember, there's no one formula for success. As WefTech President Tom Connett said at the opening ceremony, for vision to become reality, there must be a known destination plus the ambition to get there. I'll leave you with that quote and we'll get back next month with more content. Until then, stay tuned.